Well, Grace, go ahead, break out your Bibles. Let's go to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. You know, last week we, we fundamentally asked this question of Jonah chapter 4. How does God change Jonah? And the application question was, how does God change us? Remember the appointing, the asking, those other ways that we looked at? Well, this week what we are looking at is this. We are looking at this question. What change does God work in Jonah? And what change is he working in me? Have you caught that the book of Jonah ends with the question? It actually ends on something of a cliffhanger. Let's go ahead, let's bring up verse 11 on the screen. Bring up verse 11. Do you see the question that the book of Jonah ends with? Right, like that's the question before Jonah that he had to answer, and Jonah ended the book about his life with this question that you and I need to answer today. Do we pity the Ninevehs that are out there? Do we pity them? Do we have God's love for the lost outsider? Are our lives marked by that? Do I have a vision of his big salvation? Do I have a big vision of his kingdom? And do I have a big vision of his glory going forward? I hope you've seen that theme interwoven throughout all the scripture that we've read and that we've looked at this morning because we've got to get at this. We've really got to get at this. Why? Just two quick reasons as to why we need this. Number one, so many of us are looking for meaning. So many of us are looking for purpose. We're looking for significance. We are looking for vitality. We're looking for juice in our lives. Where's it going to come from? The deepest, best purpose for our lives is not just when we live for God's glory, but we live to expand God's glory. The great missionary William Carey said this, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. A great commission life, a great commission life also does this for us. It does this. It makes us bold. Do you want boldness in your life? Do you want to be able to stand for what you believe in? Do you want courage in your life? A great commission life makes us bold. The great missionary C.T. Studd put it this way. He said these words. He said, some wish to live within the sound of church bell and chapel. As for me, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Wow. <laughs> How bold is that, right? Like, I want that in my life, and in God's word today we get that. Let's go to God's word. Let's hear that question. Let's look at Jonah chapter 4. Go with me beginning in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? 
And Jonah went from there out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. And here is what we will learn this morning. Here's where we're going this morning. We learn three things about God's mission. We learn three things we need to know about being his missionary. The first thing we learn is this. We need a bigger vision of God's saving mission. The second thing we learn is this. We need a bigger vision of God's kingdom mission. And the third and final thing we will learn is this. We need a bigger vision of God's glory mission. Let's go to that first one. Let's learn about his saving mission. Did you know that God has a purpose and a plan for every nation on earth? We've seen that in our Old Testament, our New Testament readings. But do you really, do you really believe, do you really trust, do you really rest that our Lord God has a people from every tribe that will one day bow the knee to Jesus. Do you really believe, rest on, are you really excited about seeing people out of every tongue confessing Jesus as Lord? Like we're gonna spend all eternity with people who do not look like us. That's what our God is doing in this world. That's his plan for this world. It's an amazing vision. It's a vision that drives us that gives us vitality, that gives us meaning. It's a vision that teaches us how to prioritize, how to order our lives, how to make our lives count. Jonah needed this vision. Jonah is not living from this vision. Let's go to verses one through three. Now I recounted a lot of this for you last week, so I'm gonna go quickly here, but just look at verse one. Look at verse one. Do you see how Jonah is exceedingly angry with the Lord? That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. Go to verse 2, first part of verse 2. He's defending his sin. This is why I ran away from you. I'm justified. I had a good reason. That's not good. What's the second part of verse 2? This is tragic. God, I know who you are, and I don't like it. Wow. <laughs> like, God, I see your character, and that's my problem. That's really not good. Go to verse 3. When God saves Nineveh, Jonah says, over my dead body. That's not good. Jonah, you're being a hypocrite. God can save you from the waters and all the way back in chapter 2 when he did. You prayed an amazing prayer of thanks. But here, God's not allowed to save them from the fires. You hypocrite. This is not good. We explored this last week. We saw the deep things in Jonah's heart. This week, let's go one level deeper and let's see the weed bed 
Let's see the idolatry that is causing all of these other weeds to sprout out and pop up in Jonah's heart. What is that idol? What is that sin below the sin in Jonah's life? It is nothing other than racial, ethnic pride. It is his pride in being an Israelite. Jonah's world revolves around this, right? Jonah is a celebrity preacher in Israel. He has lots of Twitter followers hanging on every word that the Lord speaks to him. Jonah is proud to be one who is spiritually clean, unlike those dirty Ninevites. Jonah sees that if Nineveh repents, if God relents, then they're a threat to Israel, and it will eradicate Jonah's way of life and all that he holds dear. What is Jonah's problem? Jonah's problem is this. He has limited God's salvation to Israel. He has reduced it down. His view of God's plan to save is too small. He needs a bigger vision of God's saving mission. God loves the unlovable. He saves the unsavable. That is his plan. That is what Jonah was called to. That is what you and I are called to here today. We need this bigger vision too. Can I just ask you, who is the Ninevite in your life? Who would the Ninevites be? For some of us, it would probably be the LGBTQ community, wouldn't it? We love it when Target and Bud Light's stock plummets. I see some grins out there. But if our God called us to go to Boys Town, to speak his words of repentance, of hope, and of life, would we do it? For some of us, the Ninevite, the Ninevite would be the thug, the hardened criminal, right? We love safe streets. But if our God called us to go to West Garfield Park or downtown Gary and speak words of hope, words of transformation, the words of good news, would we do it? Would it be too unsafe? For some of us, it is the rich. That's the Ninevites. We love it when the untouchable falls. One of the first jokes I learned here is, where's the governor's mansion in Illinois? Just go to the state pen, right? Like we love it when an untouchable falls. But if God called us to go to all those homes on, on the North Shore, maybe the shores of Cedar Lake, maybe some of those not super rich but nice neighborhoods in St. John, would we want to go? For some of us, it is the scuzzy poor. It is the trailer park crowd. Who are the Ninevites that make you go? I don't know, Lord. I don't know. Let me ask it this way. Who's that one Ninevite in your life? Who is that one person that you just cannot stand? Let me tell you a story. A man I knew in the army got back from a deployment to Iraq, and he told me, he told me in his time in Iraq, he had developed a great disdain, a great distaste for people from the Middle East. Just couldn't stand them. If he saw somebody wearing a turban, or of, of likely Middle Eastern descent on the same aisle as the grocery store, he had to walk away. He couldn't handle it, couldn't stand it. That was his Ninevite. Who's our Ninevite? Who is the person who has hurt you, and now you've put him on the shelf? Who is the person that we believe is beyond the long arm of God's love? Is your view of God's salvation big enough to include those people or that person? 
God's plan of salvation was more than just Israel, and it is more than just to save the people closest and nearest and dearest to you and me. We need a bigger vision of God's salvation. But we don't just need a bigger vision of God's mission of salvation. There's another aspect of his mission that we need a bigger vision of. We need a bigger vision of his kingdom mission, his kingdom mission. God's plan for his kingdom is a big vision. Jesus said the kingdom is like a small, tiny what? Mustard? Mustard seed, yeah, yeah, yeah. That when it grows, it transforms. It multiplies. You don't even recognize it as that tiny little seed anymore because it's become this huge, mighty tree. Christianity has done that over the last 2,000 years. We went from 12 original followers to over 2 billion today. We need a big vision of the kingdom, and Jonah needed that too. Let's see it in Jonah's life. Go with me to verse 5. Look at Jonah. He's completely removed himself from where our God is active. He has disengaged. He has pulled away. He builds a pity party booth. This is sad. He should be rejoicing, right? If you chop off Jonah at the end of chapter 3, where God relents, you have the greatest story of missionary success in the Bible, probably the whole world. What a missed opportunity. Do you see the missed opportunity here that, that Jonah had? Let's look at this missed opportunity. Let's look at it from two angles. Let's look at it first from the angle of what did Nineveh need, right? Like 120,000 people just came to faith in Jesus. What do they need? They need a pastor. They need a preacher. They probably need more than one, right? <laughs> they need teachers, someone to show them, show them more of the faith, to teach them the faith. Oh, this is what just happened. This is what it means, they need the equivalent of elders, deacons, small group leaders, maybe a vacation Bible school, backyard Bible study, children's ministry. They need all kinds of help, discipleship, equippers. What else do they need? What else do they need? They need a lot of counseling. They need a lot of counseling. Do you remember those nasty, gross practices we talked about all the way back in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, when we first learned of Nineveh? They flayed people alive. If you bred your son to go do that, if you yourself participated in that, if you were married to a man like that, if you look up to your daddy and say, I want to be like that, don't you think you would need a lot of counseling? Have you ever seen a hardened criminal come to faith in Jesus? Have you ever seen somebody from the LGBTQ community come to faith in Jesus? You spend a lot of time with those people, sitting there, reminding them over and over again, yes, 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 he has saved you. Yes, 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 you did those things, but that's not who you are now. The shadow of the cross covers even that. You are still forgiven. They need a lot of counseling. They need a lot of encouragement. That's what Nineveh needs. Do you see the missed opportunity? Let's look at this missed opportunity from another angle. What could, Nineveh, what could Nineveh have brought to the table for expanding God's kingdom? We're talking about the original metropolis. We are talking about New York City, LA, Tokyo, and London rolled into one. Think of the financial districts. Think of the markets. They have a little bit of money. Could they buy a certain church in Northwest Indiana in a building like that? Oh, yes, they could. Yes, they could. Look, look at their political capital. How many client states? 
How many vassal states? How many borders can they cross? How many political favorites can they call and say, we're sending missionaries and you're going to like it? And if somebody tells them no, what do they do? Send in the army, right? (laughs) What could they bring to the table? 120,000 people. That's a lot of missionaries that you could send out. Oh, brothers and sisters, within a generation, the entire Assyrian empire could have been Christianized. And if that becomes Christianized, then the whole world gets to hear of this promised hope. The whole world gets to hear of the coming Savior. Do you see the missed opportunity? Oh, brothers and sisters, Jonah, Jonah is disengaged. He is outside in a flimsy little booth hoping that God will rain down judgment on Nineveh. What a missed opportunity. Oh, brothers and sisters, Jonah had reduced God's kingdom to Israel's borders. Jonah had reduced God's kingdom to Israel's borders. We cannot do that. We need a bigger vision of the kingdom. We need a bigger vision of the kingdom. You know, as Christians, we can be really, really good at separating ourselves from the lost people. We can be really, really good at disengaging, at pulling away. I mean, look at Jonah's booth in verse 5. Does it even work? Does it even work? No. In the very next verse, what do we learn? God had to raise up a shade plant because Jonah's booth didn't work. What a metaphor for how we try to set up our own little kingdoms, our own flimsy little kingdoms, our own little castles. Those are our attempts at reducing God's kingdom footprint to just our immediate lives. We need a bigger vision. We're good at separating. We're good at disengaging. And did Jonah's booth work? No, it didn't. Do our little booths work? No, they don't. When we disengage, when we set up a community where we're going to be pure, where we're not going to talk to those scuzzy outside people, does it work? As a pastor, I still have to counsel marriages living inside the booth. I still have to help men break pornography habits. If you talk to any youth pastor or any parachurch ministry that works in the middle schools and the high schools, they will tell you there is still teen pregnancy, even in the schools you would not expect. Friends, does it work? It does some good things. Please do not hear what I am not saying. But one thing it does is make us really, really good at hiding sin. Can we be honest with that? Can we be honest with that? And then what happens when we do this in our individual lives? Please go with me. Please listen to me. You're going to be tempted to think that I'm criticizing you, but it's more of a call to action. Was this your life? Was this your life? Raised raised in a Christian preschool where you can only have Christian playdates? And then you go off to Christian school or to home school, right? You, you go off. They're not bad things. Do not hear. Do not hear. Do not hear. If you go off to those things and you begin a Christian version of Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, what's it called? Diamonds, jewels. Yeah, wasn't raised with it, became a pastor. All right. When you start a Christian sports league, And then you go to Christian middle school or homeschooling middle school, and you add all of those things. You take all of those things. You add Christian catechism, Christian youth group, 
And then we go to homeschooling high school, Christian high school, and we keep all of those things. Then what do we add? Christian band, Christian art, Christian drama. I'm not saying you're wrong. Do not hear. All right. I'm not saying you're wrong. But when we jam-pack life with Christian, 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 what do we do? What do we do? And if all of this is preparation, this wonderful, beautiful vision, if it's preparation for the real world, if it's preparation for the real world to go be light, to go be salt, if we're not supposed to put our lamps under a bushel, if your Christian teachers, administrators, and educators make less money to teach in a Christian school because they believe in the vision, they believe in the mission, they believe in you and they want to invest in you. If your mama didn't work in the home the way she wanted to but got an extra job to pay for this for you, what are we doing with that preparation? What are we doing with it? How are we utilizing it? Are we building booths to sit outside of the city? I hope I hope we can have an honest conversation about that. Are you engaged in God's kingdom mission to save? Oh, friends, are you in Nineveh? Or are you sitting on the outside? If you are disengaged, can I ask, what flimsy booth are you sitting under? What has your gaze? What has your attention? Oh, Christian, you have been given a mission with a big vision for a worldwide kingdom. Let's go through the city walls and let's speak the words and the hope of Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, that's just our individual lives. I'm not even going to mention all the debates we have in the church that lead to budget decisions that make us ingrown, that build community, but don't send us out. We have to be careful for this. Now, let's stop right there. Am I being meanie, Pastor John? Did I just beat up on you? Did I just call your way of life bad? No. No, but somebody's got to be a voice saying, where is mission in your budget and in your schedule? Let's take that good preparation and let's put it to use, right? Does your homeschooling co-op teach the Great Commission? Does it have that in the curriculum? Some do, some don't. We've got to be able to have these conversations or we will never become a church that takes the gospel outside the four walls. We need a bigger vision of God's saving mission we need a bigger vision of God's kingdom mission, but we also need a bigger vision of God's glory mission. Here's another part of God's mission to the world. It's his glory. We saw in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, that his glory is going to cover the ends of the earth. How do we do that? What does that even mean? Here's number one. First thing you need to know about God's glory. The word glory means to reveal it means to reveal, right? Like, like when we glorify God, his character is put on display. His radiant, dazzling, shining, blinding character is being put on display for others to see, for others to go, whoa, what is that? That's number one. What's number two? Number two is this. The word glory also means heaviness. It means weight. It means God's glory is to be the heaviest thing, the weightiest thing in our life. It is the thing that goes in the back of a pickup truck that keeps it driving straight in the mud. 
God's glory is the heaviest thing in our lives that drives us forward. Why? So we can reveal him. We can make him known. We can put his dazzling sun on display. Jonah did not live from this. He needed a bigger vision of it. Let's go to our final verses. Let's see this. What's going on with this worm? What's going on with this plant? What what, what are they there for? What do they mean, right? I want to submit to you that the plant and the worm are metaphors for both Jonah and Nineveh. They're like plants, right, that the Lord God has raised up. He's called. He's given a purpose. He loves them. They're very near and dear to his heart. He cherishes them both, but they both have a worm crawling around in their hearts, spoiling them from the inside out. Why does God kill the plant? I'm going to submit to you that it's this. God is saying to Jonah, if I do it your way, Jonah, if I kill the plant to kill the worm rather than taking the worm out, throwing the worm away, and saving the plant, watch what happens. Jonah, you wind up in my scorching heat. You wind up in my scorching wind. Jonah, that's one small taste of my wrath. Do you really want, do you really want, like if my wrath turns you into a whining crybaby, Do you want me to go full throttle on my wrath on Nineveh? Do you want me to go full throttle on the Democrats? Do you want me to go full throttle on the gangbanger? Do you really want me to go full throttle on Vladimir Putin or whoever your Ninevite is? Is that who I am, Jonah? Is that who you want me to be? Grace, we need God's glory. We need to see God's glory on display. We need to see who our God is. We need to treasure this. We need to savor this. Go with me to verse 10. Where's God's glory in this passage? It's in the last two verses where God gives his reasons for relenting, for not destroying Nineveh. Go to the first part of chapter 10, or excuse me, verse 10. Go to the first part of verse 10. Do you see where God is saying, Jonah, you're shedding tears over a plant you did not grow, you did not work for. Jonah, I grew Nineveh. I allowed Nineveh to grow. I raised it up. They can't do anything without me, right? Like, let's go to Acts chapter 17. Go, Go with me, Acts chapter 17. Let's hear Paul's sermon in Athens. Do you see how it is our God who allows people to have boundaries, to have life? He appoints our days, he appoints our boundaries, and for what purpose? That they may feel and find their way back to him. Oh, our Lord God is doing this with Nineveh. It does not fit our God's character just to discard people, just to throw them away. He made a way for you to feel and find your way to him, and he does that for the outsider. Oh, Grace Church, he redeems. That is part of his glory. What's the next thing that we see? What's the next thing that we see? Go to verse 10. Go to the second part of verse 10. Do you see how God says to Jonah, Jonah, you're crying and weeping over a plant that didn't last for 24 hours. Jonah, I have been at work in Nineveh for over 1,500 years. Let me show you that. Go with me to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. Do you see how a man named Nimrod, let's just all laugh, let's get it out of the way. Yes, his name is Nimrod. He's Noah's great-grandson. Noah's great-grandson founded Nineveh before Abraham became a Christian. Before God called Abraham in Genesis 12, God 
built Nineveh through Nimrod. Do you see that? Nineveh was settled by Noah's great-grandson, and by giving Nineveh an opportunity to repent, our God is still being kind to Noah's family. That's who he is. That's who he is. It's not in his nature to just discard people, to just throw them away. No, he won't stop being kind to you. He will not stop being kind to the outsider as well. We take refuge in that. We take hope in that. He redeems. He renews. That's part of his glory. How else do we see his glory? Go to verse 11. Do you see those 120,000 people? Do you see all those ribeye steaks? Our God, our God, he doesn't throw away. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Look at our final resting place. Do you see how we will wind up in a city? The Bible begins with a garden. It ends with the city, a city that is radiant, a city that is dazzling, a city that is so full of his glory. Heaven needs no utilities company. God's glory lights up heaven. Do you see that that's where we will be? Do you see that's where our future is? What better way to display to the world in Jonah's day but a refurbished and repurposed Nineveh? Imagine if New York City all of a sudden became Christian and started sending out missionaries. What a pointer to our future in Christ. That is what our God is doing. He doesn't just throw things away. He refurbishes. He repurposes. Is he refurbishing something in your life? He's definitely repurposed things in my life. He hasn't given up on me. He doesn't give up repurposing and refurbishing the outsider. He redeems. He renews. He refurbishes. He repurposes. This is part of his glory. There's a fourth and final way we see his glory in verse 11. Go with me. He says, Jonah, these people don't know their right hand from their left. They're morally ignorant. They are spiritually ignorant. You at least had my word, and look what you did. You ran. <laughs> Our God is a God who factors ignorance, lack of knowledge in. Do you see his kindness? Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do you see how our family business is not death, but bringing new life? This is what our God does. This is what our God does. It does not fit his character to just throw you away. It does not fit his character to throw the outsider away. No, no. He has made a way for you to hear his word and repent, and he has made a way for the outsider to hear his word and to repent. He redeems, he renews, he repurposes, he refurbishes, and he's still calling people to repentance today. This is part of his glory. Do you see his glory? Do you see who he is? Do you see the amazing quality, the amazing character of our Lord? Because if you do, this will be the heaviest thing in your life. It'll take all of your other burdens, all of your other weights, all the other heaviness in your life, the heaviness of family dysfunction, work dysfunction, why I can't get a break, right? It takes those, it lifts them off your shoulders and it puts them in perspective. It even takes your suffering, the weight of suffering. 
And it says to you, I'm doing something with that. I'm using the suffering to redeem you, to renew you, to refurbish you, to repurpose you. It gives a perspective when it is the highest weight in your life. It drives you forward. It makes you want to make him known. This is part of his glory. You will naturally edit out lesser glories. You will naturally aim your life's pursuits not just at his glory, but expanding his glory. Oh, grace, we got to be careful. We have to be careful. We can become like Jonah. We can live for the plant's shade. We can live for the plant's comfort. We can live for the plant's glory. Work is good. I have respected that so much about you. Coming out here, coming out here, especially if I can bag on it from the Pacific Northwest where everyone's lazy. They live for video games and try to, how many guys can split an apartment and, and work as little as possible to play as much as possible. You have such a strong work ethic. Do not ever lose that. But we don't live for work. We don't live for the glory of work. Work can become a plant. When I lived in the Pacific Northwest, I saw so many people detached from their families. Family is a wonderful, beautiful thing. I see some of y'all holding hands, arms around each other, holding your children. That is good. It provides warmth. It provides closeness. It provides a sense of self. But friends, we can become insular. We can only ever spend time with our families. We can think we're off if we don't get enough time with our, with our grandbabies, right? Family can become a plant. We take our family to serve the family of families. We take our household to serve the household of households and its glory. We've got to be aimed at that. Rest and recreation are good. Some of you need more of that. <laughs> Let me just put it out there. It's good. It's good. It provides rest. It provides solace. It provides reprieve. But we can live for the glory of rest. We can live for the glory of play. All of these things can become plants if we're not careful. They are good things. Do not hear what I am not saying. They are good and wonderful things. But if we start to live for them, we will not live for the greater glory of God's outward mission. They will become impediments rather than building blocks. We need to take these things that God has given us that are good things, and we need to put them in the service of his mission to the nations. Amen? Yeah. All right. We've got to be careful if that is not the heaviest thing in our life. Let me tell you about a lady who understood God's saving mission, his kingdom mission, and his glory mission. Anybody heard of Lottie Moon? Anybody heard the story of Lottie Moon? Yeah, yeah, some of you have. She was a four foot six, a four foot nothing missionary to the Chinese people 130 years ago. Pastor J.D. Greer tells this uh, story of her. I think he says it best. She went to China as a single lady. She wanted to be married. She knew that this is what God has called her to, missions to China, and at this point in her life, it meant she couldn't marry the man she wanted to. In her biography, she wrote this. I pray that no missionary will ever be as lonely as I have been. Doesn't that just, ah, hit you in the stomach? 
but this is how much she loved her Lord, loved his mission. She gave undying devotion to the Chinese. When most missionaries fled China during the Chinese-Japanese War, she stayed put. Even when the American government told all of its citizens to leave, we know you've got businesses, we know they're expanding in China, you need to leave, you need to get out, she said no. Don't say that you want me to return. Nothing could make me return. China is my joy, it is my delight, it is my home now. She struggled for years to get people in China to listen to the gospel. A turning point came when one day the pastor of the small Chinese church that she was a part of was arrested and tortured. She rushed to the place where her pastor was strung upside down, being beaten very badly. She saw his scalp hanging loose from his head. She quickly stood in between the guard and between her pastor. The guard screamed at her, get away from him, you foreign devil, but she wouldn't move. Suddenly, a peace came over her. Witnesses say an incredibly peaceful look came upon her face along with a gentle smile. The guard didn't know what to do, so he dropped his sword and walked away. She rushed her pastor to the nearest hospital some cities away and spent weeks nursing him back to health. Weeks later, when they returned, guess what had happened? The tiny church had multiplied. It had grown in size with lots of new believers. They were overwhelmed that this strange little white woman would give her life for a Chinese man. This opened their hearts to the message about the sacrifice of Jesus, who had given away everything he had so that they could be saved. Well, in 1911, years later, a great famine swept over China. She refused to leave. During that time, she literally gave away her portion of her food, and she died of starvation. She died weighing no more than 50 pounds. The Chinese nurse that was with her when she died, hold on, (laughs) said that she started to sing, Jesus loves me. And as she sang, she rattled off the names of her friends that had come to faith in Jesus. And she gave the Chinese form of greeting as she said each name and sang that song. Finally, Finally, she did this one last time, but didn't say a name. Her nurse, who was a Christian, is convinced that that was her meeting Jesus Christ. What do we make of Lottie Moon? Oh, man, her whole life speaks of the heaviness of Jesus' mission to the lost. The mission was worth her life. Jesus was worth any sacrifice. He was better than a husband. He was better than food. He was better than life. He was worth following to the ends of the earth. A saving mission, a kingdom mission, and a glory mission. Oh, friends, Lottie lived for this mission. Is Jesus Christ and all that he has done for you, is he worth it? Is he worth it? If not, let's review what we've learned about him in Jonah. In our very first week, when we heard those words, arise and go, we saw that Jesus Christ is the one who arose from heaven's throne, and he went. He came to this earth to save you and me. As we learned about Jonah and the sailors, we saw that Jesus was the true and better sailor, the true and better Jonah, the one who was offered to the storm the deeper storm of God's wrath. Why? So that we wouldn't have to be. 
In Jonah chapter 2, as Jonah was submerged to the depths, we saw that Jesus was the better Jonah. How? Because he was submerged to the depths, only his prayer for salvation was not answered, and he died. But his prayer of salvation for you and me was answered. In Jonah chapter 3, we saw that he is the one who prayed for God's cup of wrath to be taken from him, that God would relent of sending his wrath down on himself the way God relented from sending his wrath down upon Nineveh. Only Jesus Christ's answer, prayer, was not answered. Why? So that God would relent in his wrath against you and me. Last week, we saw that Jesus Christ is now the one who has become our eternal shade plant. He is the better plant protecting us eternally from the scorching heat of God's wrath. He does all of this for us. He did all of that for you, for me, even though we sit outside the city gates in our flimsy booths, even though we judge the unclean around us, not going, not participating in the places where he's at work, treasuring the shade of lesser glories. Do you see Jesus' great love for you? Has it come upon you? Does it comfort you? Does it shade you? What a savior. Lottie Moon saw this and it drove our life. It was the heaviest thing in her life. The book of Jonah closes with that question. Shouldn't I pity Nineveh? There's an implied question to all of us. Do we pity the outsider? Does that move us to action? Will we arise and go? It is only by the grace of the Lord Jesus that we can embrace this bigger vision of a saving mission, a kingdom mission, and a glory mission. Let's look to him, and then let us, church, arise and go. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, you have called us. You have called us out of the depths, and you have called us, Father, to be used to help bring others out of the depths. Father, we need you and we love you. Father, we pray that you would make this true in our lives. Father, please help us to have hard conversations with ourselves if need be. But Father, please help us to see how amazing you are, how great and deep your love is. And Father, may that be propellant. May it be electricity. May it be the blood pumping in our veins, Father, that sends us forward, that we might know you better, but that we might make you known. We love you, Father, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.